raise a couple more to the revolution. We have only three words for you. Uh-oh. We're taking over! of the podcast, that's because we have a very special episode lined up for you today. I'm going to be interviewing our artistic director, Dan Pelletier. Yes. Hi, Dan. It's a nice role reversal. You didn't do the, my signature intro, though, but like, I won't fault you for that. It's because I'm not you, Dan. I guess, but like, we have a format. Well, we're going to break that format, and Tom and I are going to gang up on slash interview Dan. We were going to be nice until he critiqued the intro. <laughs> yeah, no, we're Dan. not. <laughs> Okay. Now you're screwed, Dan. I'm not worried. Oh, you should you be. You should be. So, Dan, tell me, um, what was your first experience in theater like? Was it as an audience member? Were you drafted into a show by a teacher? So, I usually say that like my theater career didn't truly start until the eighth grade and a production of Footloose. But I guess like growing up, I you know kind of did some theater things like with my friends, but I never really took it seriously until then and then like that's when I truly say I fell in love so like the eighth grade I auditioned for a production of Footloose because my friends were auditioning for it and then I was the only one that continued to audition for shows it was a uh, part of the palace's youth program and I fell flat on my face during the dance call because it was my first dance call and the director thought I broke my wrist but I popped right back up and I really think I only got cast because of my tenacity and not my kids bounce my dancing or singing ability yeah, did you, you break bounce. your wrist no um, I'm, I'm pretty durable you know other than when I tore my ACL in high school playing football I've been very fortunate um, to I seem to have this weird durability despite some of the uh, less than intelligent choices I've made. So you said that you did some theater things with your friends before eighth grade. Were these like, like I know that uh, me and my cousins and my sister did like basement productions of Beauty yeah. and the Beast where it was just the four of us playing the characters. Was it things like that or was it a little bit more formal? Th there's a number of different things. I mean, like there was always like the odd like everybody in school is in the production so you have to be in the production type we thing we never had those we definitely had, i mean it wasn't like everybody was in them but it was like 75 percent of the school was in them i'm huh. um, actually i'm really happy i hear that uh my middle school auburn village now does have an eighth grade musical that every student is required to be a part of whether it's on stage or on crew or building things, which I think is an excellent program. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily... It sounds bad if it's like, oh, they're all forced to do no, it. No, But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's either they have to perform or they work backstage, and I think that's a great thing. Um, so yeah, I had things like that, but then we also did definitely make um, some really awful home movies and YouTube things. And my other big foray into uh, performing was I, growing up, I wanted to be a professional wrestler. And unfortunately, I'm five foot six, and there's not a lot of wrestlers. And my mother, I once did get to go to like a pro wrestling fantasy camp thing, but I just felt like my mother didn't want me to go into pro wrestling. So Dan's mom is a nurse, just for a little bit of background. Yeah. So it's not like she's sitting behind a desk somewhere worrying about him. She was an ER nurse, yeah, actively no, treating knows, people coming in. But we did. We actually we had a a, a back. She's also a great lady. Shout out to Lori. <laughs> yeah. 
we had a backyard wrestling group, but like looking back on it now, we never really like it wasn't us focusing on like being backyard wrestlers. We were more like parodying wrestling and just kind of trying to create content that was like us making fun of the things that we find funny about wrestling. So it was more of like a show about wrestling than it was necessarily wrestling. Yeah, we did things, but like we had a trampoline um, and that led to a lot of the things that I mentioned earlier where I made bad choices and I don't know how I didn't like break my back or crack a rib um, or, you know, give each other concussions and things like that. Cause we never, we always knew that like our goal was to be goofy and entertaining and funny. So like we weren't like hitting each other with chairs. We were hitting each other with like cardboard boxes. Yeah. Well, and... we're glad you're still with us, Dan. Okay. Yeah. So when did you decide that you first wanted to go into professional theater? I did theater for all high school. I was probably in like 20 something shows. Do you uh, have a favorite from that time? A favorite show that I was in in high school? Uh, yeah. God, favorite show I was in in high school. I like, Seems like that's not something you've thought about in a while. No, because I'm so far, I'm like 10 years removed from high school now. So like, and I've been focusing more on my, uh, you know. Do you ever think about how that happens? Yeah. Yeah. I try not to. I was thinking about something from my sophomore year of college and I was like, that was five years ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm 10 years out of, I'm 10 years out of high school. But anyways, when I graduated uh, high school and I was going to college, I thought that like I was going to put theater aside. Um, I hung up my capizios and put them next to my football cleats on my shelf. And I was like, okay, that's a great part of my life. And what I'm, an interesting shelf. Yeah. And I'm done with, I was, I was the regular Troy Bolton before Troy Bolton was Troy Bolton. You Troy Boltoned first. Yeah, exactly. I went from the jock to the theater kid, mostly because again, I'm five, six and eventually, you know, I could be an offensive line on the freshman football team, but not on varsity. And as aforementioned, he tore his ACL, and what he didn't tell you was it was on the second day of freshman training. Yeah, no, it was the second day after cuts. I made the team. Pinkerton was the only high school in the state that cut at the freshman level because we had 70 freshmen, tried for 40 spots. I made the team, and two days later at practice, my foot got stuck in the mud, and the top, my body turned, and the bottom half of my leg didn't, and I tore my ACL. It was a great time. So I was going to college, and I was you know, pretty sure that like, I was done with theater, and I was between a number of things. I went in undeclared. I really was kind of lost in life. Uh, Did you ever think about going medical? Like we, we established a few episodes that Tom could be a doctor. No, I, which is weird because you would have thought like I was, um, you know, my mother, as we said, my mother's a nurse, but a lot of people knew I was smart. But like in high school, like I just, I struggled with certain subjects, not necessarily understanding them, but like doing homework I felt like was beneath me. The assigned busy work. Yeah, and like, no, so like, I, 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 I was not built for, for regular school. I excelled in college, and I was not built for the public education system. Um, well, the public education system's not built for us, Dan, but that's another topic for another day. So I'm going to college, and I'm undeclared, and I'm really lost. I'm between a number of things. I was between uh, political science, uh, computer science, uh, pre-law and then like a kind of I you know in the back of my head I'm like ah, maybe I can major in theater but I wasn't sure um, and I got through freshman year I was at UNH Manchester and then I transferred to Durham and I was still like undeclared but then I joined uh, Mask and Dagger the student-run theater group and I was also taking like you know an intro into political science and an intro into computer science 
and I just didn't feel fulfilled in anything I was doing in those classes. But when I was in a mask and dagger rehearsal or working with the theater department, I felt like everything I did actually mattered and my life had a higher meaning. So I got up one morning and I knew that I had like a week and a half left to declare my major and I walked down to the advising office and I asked them for the declaration of major form. I sat down and I just, I wrote theater and I handed in the form. Uh, then I called my mother and I told her that I declared theater and she just said, are you gonna be able to eat? I'm like, yeah, mom, I think I'm gonna be okay. I, I think like, you know, I love this and I will work my ass off to make sure that I am successful in it. She's like, okay, then you can major in theater. And it was the best decision I ever made. If I, had, I mean, I probably would be making 10 times the money if I had been a software engineer, but I would have been bored. And I never would have met you, Marjorie. Or you, Tom. And I love you both. Aw, well, we appreciate that. And we're glad that you're here with us. Yeah. Bringing it forward a little bit to Q0. Yes. When did, did Q0 take shape in your head at that time? No. Q0 was born out of hitting a post-graduation post kind of slump. Really? So that wasn't something that you had planned in school? No. So it was actually, I was, uh, I had lighting designed Taming of the Shrew. Um, yes, I was in that production, for those of you who have not listened to uh, the episode where we interviewed me. I don't know if that actually came up on that podcast. Did we cut that part? I don't know. I believe it got cut. I yeah. don't remember that. I don't remember that story. Podcast. So anyways, I after I had graduated, I had been asked to come back to Lighting Design, a student-directed production of Taming of the Shrew, which is a, a story for another day. But anyway, so I'm driving between my house in Auburn and Durham, and I realized that this is the last theatrical project I had lined up, and I had directed one other show... That was kind of a disaster, um, and my directing resume was really just you know things I like either things I had written or scenes from directing class, and nobody's gonna hire me. And I you know I was just like I want to direct. I don't want to be somebody's assistant or start off in another department. I want to direct, but no one's gonna hire me if nothing's on my resume. What am I going to do next? And, and what did you do, Dan? It just popped, like, between driving between UNH and Durham, I said, by my next birthday, which was in July, and this was in November, I want to self-produce a play. And then I decided, I want to self-produce an original work because I think there's too much complacency and I want to do something different. So by the end of July... I am going to self-produce an original work. And I don't know why that was the thought that came to me, but that was the genesis of Q0. And then by December, I we had named, I had come up with a name for the company and I had connected with a couple of other uh, UNH alum that were also kind of in a similar boat. And we set out and we raised $3,000 and we rented the Dairy Opera House and we put on our night of original work. and. Uh, that opened a lot of doors for me because I think just people hearing that I set out and was so dedicated spoke to a lot of people and they're like, okay, this guy's serious. This guy does mean something. So, and now with Q0, my plan is that I want to help create those similar opportunities for other people in similar situations. So people trying to get their career off the ground, it's super important to me that they have an avenue where I'm going to help them take risks and I'm going to take risks on them. Well, I think that's a really noble pursuit, especially post-grad struggling yourself. You mentioned that the name came to you while you were driving. Can you explain to us where the name came from? Well, the, no, the, the idea for the company came to me while I was driving. It took me about a month to come up with the name. Um, 
again, like I really wanted to be reflect something reflective of the fact that we were creating opportunities and that everything we were doing was about new and different and starting. Um, so we went through like a number of ideas and a lot of people shot down things. And eventually I settled on Q0 um, because it was a little bit, it's kind of a theater pun. Um, so like when you are doing design work for a show where you're stage managing the show, you start in Q1. But with a lot of like lighting boards, before you go into Q1, you set the board into Q0. So when you're starting from new, you're in Q0. So that's how I, I'm like, okay, yeah, Q0 theater company. So Q's, the zero Q would be the house lights. Right, or like, yeah, just where you are before you've actually done anything. Yeah. It's you're, you're in Q0, and then you go from there, and you call Q1, and you start the show. I like that a lot, Dan. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, like, I went through like a, trying to come up with like a building a door metaphor. or. Did we almost end up as something that's like embarrassing for you to think about I, now, thinking I, back on it? I can't even tell you some of the bad ideas, because I always think that you got to like throw out a million bad ideas before you find the gem. Um, so like there were a lot of bad ideas. I mean, I've got other ones for like if I was going to start a film company or like a different type of theater company, but I wanted to make sure that the name was reflective of the work we were doing. Yeah. And some people said it was like a little bit of a high concept thing that not everyone would get it. But I think by now the name just kind of has like a little bit of a mystique to it. I felt like the Z was exotic, which also helped. It's definitely got a, uh, it's got a ring to it. It's yeah. got a very specific way it feels in your mouth. Right. So yeah. And we, that's how we uh, ended up sticking with Q0. Yeah. And here we are. Yes, here we are, five years later, uh, in the Kriva Academy, which didn't even exist five years ago. Our first show rehearsed in my parents' garage, which I believe we have established. Um, and now, you know, we're on to our first full season. Yeah, it's some exciting stuff that's coming down the pipe. Very. I. Uh, this is a where I wanted to be. I when I I mean I did kind of have like a a ten year vision of when I graduated college that. 10 years out of college, I wanted to be, I said, you know, I know that the arts is a very difficult career field. So I said, in 10 years, I want to be an, art, an artistic director at a theater and that being like my only source of income. I don't know if I'm still on that same path, but that was kind of like what I set out to. And I said, okay, and in five, I wanted to spend the next five years building my resume. And then I was going to spend the next five years relentlessly pursuing that. But now I think I'm at a point where I really could see Q0 being my artistic, out, my main artistic outlet um, and becoming, you know, a powerful regional theater company in New Hampshire. And I think that's something really important um, to realize, especially post-grad, is you have how in your head how it's going to go, but that doesn't necessarily line up with real life. And having the flexibility to change those goals as the situation changes, but still aiming so you're not jumping into the void per se. One of the things that I think almost did kind of shape, you know, the birth of Q0 and like this mission was uh, David Kay at UNH, who was the department head at the time to him, really wanted to make sure that the graduate, at least my graduating class, I know this was a big point of his emphasis in our education, was making sure you could create your own work when nobody else was giving you work. And he wanted us to think of like our senior projects as small productions. And he talked about how he got started where he, you know, made up his theater company and you have to do a lot of, you know, we say fake it till you make it, but that really is, 
you know, at first I would always tell people, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I pretend to be an artistic director. And then eventually that becomes, no, I'm an artistic director of a theater company. And I couldn't really tell you when there's that like moment when you actually break the threshold, but that's really kind of what it is. You just kind of, you feel like you're full of crap forever. And then you look back and you're like, no, I'm doing it. Yeah, I've run into that with our resident artists as well. That's definitely something that I can relate to. Um, So I know the feeling that you're talking about. And I'm sure that some of our listeners who have been in a similar situation um, are also having war flashbacks to that moment of, oh, no, no, I'm not a fraud anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Oh. I had heard this quote, actually, um, at a wedding DJ seminar where we were working on our master of ceremony. For those of you who don't know, instead of having a normal kid job in college, like I went home and I sold shoes on the weekend. I had a retail job. Dan DJed weddings professionally. And I am back. So if you or anybody you know is looking for a premier wedding entertainer in the New England region, that is DJ Dan Pelletier with SOA Entertainment. I am now accepting 2019 bookings. But anyways, um, we were at this workshop and I believe it was the quote is originally from Russell Crowe, who uh, yeah. Another episode, another podcast. day. Later another in the episode, another day. But he said, you know, uh, they're like, he's like, people are always telling me that I'm a good actor, and I, I, I just don't think I'm good. And people are like, what? And he's like, well, you know, but I, the one, the more I think about it, if I thought I was any good, I wouldn't work so hard. And I think that that is a truth in any endeavor that the people that if you don't on some level have that little voice that's like telling you you suck that you stop working so hard and when you fall in love with yourself that you uh people who think that they're the best at anything aren't any fun to be around no and you don't you don't work as hard i mean i believe um Yo-Yo Ma, the cellist, was asked why he does scales every morning and does basic warm-ups and still rehearses. And he's like, well, you know, after 60 years, I think I'm finally starting to get good. And it, uh, and I kind of have that same mindset that you have to be pushing yourself and um, not wanting to fall into the complacency. And I'm thankful that I had a lot of different uh, mentors and educators in my life that have taught me valuable lessons like that. Yeah, I think that's an important mindset to have, especially going into something as shaky as the arts. I'm going to throw it over to Tom, um, who's been quite the chatterbox over there. <laughs> uh, do you have any, any questions, burning questions for Dan here? So as we've kind of established, this is Q0's first full season. Yes. Uh, so what made now the time to do that? What's shifted that you thought that now was the right time to take on that full season? Well, for the past few years, Q Zero has kind of been the one-man rock band. Yeah, like we had a few, like I had a few other people that were helping out with things, but they also had their own stuff going on. But I felt like I was finally in a place where, you know, the two of you and a few other people that we have now dubbed the Q Zero Brain Trust were also in a similar place. So Jake, the two of us and Jake. Yeah, but. <laughs> Theater is a collaborative art and not one person can do it all. So like I finally felt like I've, and I've also built up a lot of great connections with the theater community and made a lot of friends that make it possible for me to do bigger and better things. And I'm very thankful that I've got a lot of supportive friends and people that will loan me equipment and give me rehearsal space and performance space. Um, Because without it, this is expensive and difficult to do, but I felt like I finally built up the right goodwill that and have other people that I can delegate things to and trust 
that we're now able to take Q0 to a bigger place. And you know, for the past few years, it's been like one show and done, one show and done. And again, I hate complacency and I hate not being challenged. So it's like, okay, we've proven that we can one-off produce a show and be successful. It's time to see if we can produce a season. And then it'll be time to produce a second season. And then a three-show season could grow into a four-show season. And let's just see how much we can push this until we uh, fail spectacularly. And then we'll take a step back and go, okay, we found our limits. That's a great mindset to be in, always pushing forward, always trying something new and expanding. I will, if anybody gets me talking about it, I will tell you I hate complacency in the arts more than any other thing. This isn't a shot at any one person in particular. I just, I, in any field, it's in any field of endeavors, I hate the, oh, this is how we've always done it mindset, or I hate getting comfortable because it's the challenge is what gets me out of bed. Putting well, that's like what I said earlier, where it's anybody who thinks they're the best at something isn't that much fun to be around. Right. And I also just have this mindset of like, okay, I've accomplished that goal. Great. I know I can do that. I need to go do something else that makes me feel alive and with purpose. It's, I, I kind of equate it to like, you know, directing and producing on theater is it's like a puzzle to me, but I don't like jigsaw puzzles because I can look at the box and I know what the end result is going to be. And that to me is like, well, why the heck am I going to put together the puzzle to see what the picture looks like? I can stare at the cover art, but with a play and with theater, I can't because there's just so many variables. And I take on the challenge of going, okay, how can I take this script and see this picture in my mind that is so clear and get people to bring that to life and share that and there's just so many other factors and that to me the solving of the puzzle it makes me feel i'll admit it it makes me feel smart it makes me feel like i'm worthwhile and that i'm doing something and when i'm in, especially when i'm in those deep rehearsals and we're working and just playing with the acting and exploring that's ugh. i don't do drugs i don't drink i don't smoke but i get high when i direct okay i think that uh <laughs> that's a great summary of everything yeah so Q0 has definitely taken off a big bite this season yes. uh, with Guerrilla Shakespeare and with New Space and Side Projects and Proof and Next to Normal and the podcast and all these pro these things that we've been working on. What are you most excited about? I'm just excited for the amount of content we are creating. Pick your favorite child. Dude. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's, it's just the fact that we're, we are trying to do so much and we're trying to see what's going to stick and what's going to work. And we're having fun while we do it. And we're doing the projects that we're passionate about. Um, you know, when we were trying to come up, I mean, they always say that you know, funding theater is incredibly difficult. Sure and, is. Mm -hmm. And I felt a level of guilt just repeatedly asking people to buy, to support the theater completely by buying Playbill ads. Because I feel like, yeah, you are getting something for a Playbill ad, but I feel like you could be getting more. So I wanted to set out to create as much content as possible so that people that were supporting me could feel like they are getting their money's worth. I just, I wanted to make sure that people were getting a lot of content and we could create a ton of things and create more opportunities for myself and everybody else to build their resume and get experience and do things that they want to do. Because rarely do we get to pick the shows we want to work on, whether you've got like a board of directors you're answering to, or you have to 
you know, consider a long running audience and what's going to work. And like, once you get to a certain level, it becomes harder and harder to take risks. So like where we're so young, let's take a lot of risks. Um, and if we succeed, great. If we fail even better, we'll learn something from that failure that we can take into our next professional step. Let's find out if we can do political dramas or not. Hmm, yeah. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just doing new work is a big risk. I always say people, you know, we're always like, oh, you got to do powerful theater that challenges people's ideals. And I'm like, nobody wants to go see that. I'm sorry. People don't go to the theater to be challenged. Going and no to... one wants to walk into a production knowing that they're going to be challenged. Right. There's nothing yeah. like it's having it set up like that is terrible. People go to theater for a number of things. And if you're going to be, most people go to be entertained. And to be entertained, you need to be comfortable. And what gets people through the door is familiarity. And something that they so that they know they're going to have a good time. So like you know, doing a new work by a newer artist is a huge risk because what is the draw? And maybe this is a podcast topic for another time. What is the draw? Hello, but, it's me, the risk. But like we can take that huge risk, uh, and I, you know we're hoping that by generating content like this podcast, like all the Facebook Live videos we do, and the Instagram posts, and, and I hope people are listening to these podcasts because we really enjoy putting them together. So yeah, if it's we're been a lot of fun so for far. nothing but our own amusement, please uh, rate and subscribe to us on Apple. I oh, all major Apple podcasts, podcasts and all podcasting, major, uh, like subscribe, review, rate us, all that fun stuff. But, uh, so we can keep having fun and delivering it to your ears. Yes. Um, where Tom, was next I? question. Yeah. Ta- taking risks, it's a great thing. I'm so excited that we just get to take these risks. If I could say the number one thing that's exciting me about this season is that we are not playing it safe. That is awesome. All right. I'm going to drop this question on you because you dropped it on me on my interview. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Do it, Tom. Everything goes perfect for Dan Pelletier. Seven years from now, okay. what does that look like? Seven so seven years, years from now, I'm it was th- a weird number when he gave it. To so me. I'm s- seven years from now, I'm 35, which is actually the what the like the age that I said like I'd That's be successful. That's the ten year by. plan. Yeah, the ten years. Um, if everything goes according to plan, uh, Marjorie and I are happily married. Ew. We have a uh, uh, we have a house. We have a, uh, a child. We Ew. have dogs. Ew. Um, <laughs> you can't ew the dogs. Ew to the dogs. <laughs> Um, Everything else is fine. Don't you the dogs. I am gainfully and happily employed at a comfortable level in something involving the arts. Um, I am getting to create work that I am passionate about. Uh, I get to share my love of cultivating talent, whether I'm still working with the students of Central High School or I've gone on and got my master's degree and I'm working at a college or if I get to be the artistic director of a theater company that wasn't founded in my parents' garage. If everything goes well, I am living purely off of arts and entertainment, which I am doing now. Like, I mean, yeah, sure, money could be a little bit better, but like, I'm comfortable and I just, I want to continue to grow and I'm still doing things that are challenging me and I'm still having artistic fulfillment um, and I have been doing it with the people that I like, which I'm doing right now. So like, I'm kind of where I am now, but I'm making twice as much money. That's where I'd like to be in five years, seven years. So, Dan, so we start off the podcast with a bunch of revolution kind of stuff. And yes, our, our new... close out with Join the Revolution. Yes. So how did that originate, and where did that come from? So, again, I think that just came from my hate for complacency. And, again, I don't want to sound like I'm attacking anybody, and I don't want anybody... I, I mean, somebody's going to get upset, but I just felt like there's only 
certain types of theater being done in southern New Hampshire. There's a very... In New Hampshire as a whole, it's a very small professional theater scene, a very large community theater scene, but as far as uh, professional opportunities go, where if I took my resume to New York, things that I would put on it that a casting director would go, oh, yeah, I know them. Yeah. It's a small, small state. But, yeah, it's, it's a small state, and I feel like currently the majority of theaters are doing musical theater for baby boomers. They are doing shows that appeal to people who remember the Berlin Wall. Oh, well, the arts as a whole. Movies are for baby mm-hmm. boomers. Yeah. It's all, like, comics that they grew up with. It's, uh, it's shifting now. Right. But... but I feel like there's not... And I'm not saying that nobody's doing it, but I feel like there is not enough theater in the area that is for people under the age of 30, 40. There's not enough different work going on. Um, and there's not enough support for theaters that are going to take risks. So to me, the revolution is I want to change that. I think we can, if people can be inspired by us to see that we are doing fun things like the Gorilla Shakespeare and like this podcast and that we are doing new work and we are doing small plays and niche musicals and maybe and I don't want to be different for the sake of being different I just want to do shows that are good shows and that aren't the shows that everybody is doing for various reasons I made a joke on Facebook the other day I said if we're not doing Mamma Mia are we really a theater company because And then I brought up the map on MTI, and within a 50-mile radius, there must be 50 productions of Mamma Mia that are either that either have happened or are going to happen in the next in the next calendar year. And I understand, yeah, you gotta put butts in seats ultimately, and people are going to come see it because there's a market for that. But I also feel that there is a market for other shows. And other types of theater, and not enough people are creating that other types of theater. And when I say join the revolution and support local theater, I would love that people would come out and support professional artists that want to stay in New Hampshire because there are not enough opportunities for professional artists in New Hampshire. We and have... the revolution is not a call to shun everyone else. No, right. we don't want to shun everyone else. We're not trying to kick out the old guard. In fact, we want to learn from the old guard and and, and help us grow as artists and learn from their experiences. But at the end of the day, I want to make sure that there is going to still be a theater biz- theater industry when I am in my 40s, that, and that theater won't die because we haven't cultivated an audience and I want to make sure that there are professional opportunities here because right now we have three year-round professional theaters in the state of New Hampshire to my knowledge that are producing in-house work that is paying their performers a decent wage maybe not even a living wage but a decent wage and then we've got a lot of great summer theaters but that's it and if you want to be a professional artist you have to travel to Boston or New York, or Connecticut, or further. And I love New Hampshire. There's no other place in this country that I want to live. I think this is a great state. I love the people. I love the atmosphere. I love the changing seasons. And I just want my home state to grow and thrive in the field that I am in love with. So I feel if I can create this environment that encourages creativity and passion projects, 
that hopefully other people will join in and we can change the art scene and create and get more people excited for theater. Again, I'm not trying to butt anybody out. I'm just trying to bring other people to the table. That's awesome. And it definitely sounds like you have a lot of passion behind that um, and definitely fits in with kind of everything else that you've talked about so far. Thanks. So it seems like we're just about to the wrapping up point. Yeah. Um, and as always, we always try and give people an opportunity to plug stuff. <laughs> so you've got Q0 going on. Yes. We plug a bunch of that stuff. Yes. Yeah, so um, do you have anything else you want to plug or expand on? So, I mean, I'll just plug the first. We'll plug all of the Q0. I'm assuming by the time this comes out, uh, mid, uh, well, Midsummer will have definitely have gone up. And I'm so assuming thank you for coming, will, everybody. Thank you. Promises and the end of the world will have gone up. A um, smashing success. So thanks to you. We had lots of fun at yeah, everything. Yeah. Let's, so let's plug New Space and proof and next to normal i'd also like to plug uh urine town at central high school Aha, which goes yes. up, hi kids um i believe march 22nd 23rd uh i love my students they all do amazing work and they have chosen a challenging piece this year they pushed me to let them do urine town and i'm very excited for this play it's one of my favorite shows go kids go going back to the first question i was asked urine town was my favorite show i was in high school even though everybody else in that production i think hated it i loved it it's a great show weren't you hot blades i was hot blades Attaboy. yeah um but anyways that's what i've got going on i've got this podcast i'm hoping i'm launching a second podcast uh that'll have to do with professional wrestling sometime soon um, Mayhaps a crossover. Yeah, yeah, we'll do some crossover talk. Um, we'll I'm, go full Mr. Peanut Butter from Bojack Horseman. Yeah, and then again, I'd just like to plug So Entertainment. As I said, I'm now accepting bookings as a wedding DJ. I am also chief lighting designer, so if you already have your entertainment and you would like up lighting or an advanced lighting show or you'd like to build on that, um, come talk to me. I would love to talk to you about lighting for weddings. And all your various entertainment needs. Yeah, proms, bar and bat mitzvahs, school dances, your uncle's 50th birthday party. Really, I could entertain any at any type of event. Uncle Gerald would love a nice purple up light. I don't... Okay. Um, no, I really think Q0 is consuming all my time. I just have these repetitive 15-hour days um, where I go desk job to uh, urine town rehearsal to Q0 rehearsal. And we all rotate who gets food. Yeah. So it's like we all get out of work and, and we end up at Crema Academy and it's like someone has McDonald's or like Dairy Queen. Yeah. We need to eat some But then fruit. still I yeah. end up hungry by the time I get home and I make a mozzarella quesadilla, which just probably isn't healthy. I just wish I had time to... I've been eating mandarins recently. I wish I had time to or exercise. Or like clementines, like yeah. little oranges. I need to, I need to get back into the DDP yoga, which was working really well for me until I just don't have time to work out. Clementines, Dan, I'm telling you. Clementines, okay. Um, so do I get to do the sign-off? Nope, well, I, you no, no, okay. Tom and I do. Tom, okay, Tom, do you want me to do it because I, or do you want to do it because I did the intro? Let's split it. Take the theater and I'll take the revolution. So as we always say, support local theater. And join the revolution. Thank you for listening. Bye now.